This is Wildcat Dojo Conversations. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Wildcat Dojo Conversations. I'm Sensei Michelle. I'm Sensei Jackie. And I'm Landon. Sometimes when we do that, I feel like we're news reporters. (laughs) Wouldn't that be fun? (laughs) No, it would not. So what is our news report on today, Sensei? Okay, today we're going to take a look at a subject that I'm calling non-combative martial arts. And guess what? There could be a little controversy. Ooh, it's been a while since we had one. It has been a while. And you know what? I didn't notice they went away. Did you? I, I did. didn't notice it, but you did? it's true. I was so sad. <laughs> well, they're back. I, so. had, I had nothing to be excited about. Happiness is us. <laughs> okay, guys. So what is the subject today? Here it is. I've always been told that flower arranging, calligraphy, and the tea ceremony were considered martial arts. Like my whole karate life, I've been told that. Yes. So I Googled non-combative martial arts, and it sent me to an article in Black Belt Magazine from December 22nd, 2021. So pretty recent, really. Yes. Uh. Thanks, Black Belt Magazine. And the article was written by a pretty famous martial arts writer named Dave Lowry. FYI, audience, we have a dog barking in the neighborhood. So if he comes through, just enjoy him. We are going to... And a little spoiler alert in our Zen mind. (laughs) But back to Dave Lowry, let's pause just a moment to name a couple of the books that Mr. Lowry has written. Us, he wrote a lot of books, but to name a few. One is The Sword and the Brush, and another is called Moving Towards Stillness. I read The Sword and the Brush. Me too. But I haven't read the other one, so maybe we'll check it out for our book episodes. Oh, we should totally do that. I agree, but let's get back on track for right now, shall we? Us. I've got this, Sensei. To say it again, the three arts we're talking about today are flower arranging, tea, and calligraphy. In this article, he contends that although they are arts, they aren't martial because they're not combative. So there you have it, one man's opinion. Yes. His takeaway is that all of them are art forms, and they all have the word do in them. There's chado, the way of tea. Kado, the way of flower arranging, and Shodo, the way of calligraphy. We've mentioned the word karate do many times in this podcast, as in Karate Do My Way of Life by Gichin Funakoshi. Another great book. Look at that. And we did an episode on him, so maybe I'll tag it at the bottom so people can go back and listen. Oh, we liked that episode. And a little spoiler alert is he part of the book that we're reading now, The Three Masters? Because I think he is. I think it's Kano. Kano, Gitchen, and uh, Urishiba. Yeah. Yeah. So cool and groovy. It's another coming up on it too. Okay. My grown-up job is to quickly remind everyone that Do means way as in pathway. And after the research, we decided that another commonality with karate that all three have is the state of Mushin that is needed to reach a job well done. Maybe even reach mastery. Us, maybe. And I'll jump in here, Sensei, to remind everyone that Mushin means an intense state of focus. So much so that the practitioner is immersed in the moment with no awareness of the past or future. And you know, Sensei, this is interesting. We've never actually had an episode specifically on Mushin. We mentioned it, but we didn't do a whole episode. That is interesting, Jackie. I will add that to the list of things to focus on when I'm searching out ideas and You guys can do the same. Us. 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 But for now, I'll add 
that the most common translation for the word mushin is mind of no mind. And that in and of itself is hard to understand. Us, I agree. And as an example, in the article, Mr. Lowry tells the story of the tea master who mistakenly insults the samurai and is challenged to a duel. He tries to learn the sword. And finally, the sword master, training him, tells him to approach the battle with the same confidence and mindset he uses when he makes the tea, and everything will work out. And in the story, the tea master's confidence in the moment dissuades the samurai, and the tea master lives. But Mr. Lowry says that in reality, the tea master would have died, because one discipline doesn't give you skill in another. I can see and understand his point. Yet he does point out that just as a tea master might not wield a sword well, a swordsman will have to work to become good at his other chosen vocation, say calligraphy. Just as an example, I did quite a bit of calligraphy in both my teenage years and when I first started taking karate. And I am an example of a person who really needs more practice. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully there is no evidence found when I pass away. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Let's get back on track. Fine. I have a very cool fact from the article. Mr. Lowry quotes a tea master named Senzo Shitsu. With credit to Senzo Shitsu, Dave Lowry, and Black Belt Magazine, here is the quote. But wait, I'm giving credit to Jackie for saying all those names. Our pronunciation queen. queen. Okay, now go for the quote. To those aspiring to follow the way of tea, guard against jealousy, placing yourself at the center of things, envying or tempting others. These are unpardonable. Know your duty and immerse yourself daily in the way of tea, and you will find contentment. And I'll add one more. Mr. Lowry finishes by saying that to find your way to Mushin, you should, quote, immerse yourself daily in your art. So essentially, anyone could apply this by replacing the word T with their own discipline. Huh, he's right. The quote does actually work. And I know you guys thought we were done, but he goes on to say, by the way, he's still talking about T. Know what you know and know what you don't know. For only then will the limits of your strength become evident. To attain spiritual power, seize the chance when it offers itself. Devote yourself to study and practice. And what Mr. Lowry is saying is being good at one discipline doesn't make you good at another. Yet the inner being of each of us, no matter our discipline of choice, carries with it the opportunity for humility, growth, and balance constantly. That's enough to close out right here, right? Well, I just want to say, going back to um, where he said, spiritual power sees the chance in that line. Mm -hmm. I think we've gone over those things so many times in this podcast. It does make our three lives better in that we try to do that. Us. Yes, yes. And it, but we're so lucky that we have the opportunity to be reminded all the time of the concept. And I'm going to add one of the things I super love about doing this podcast is how much we get to learn. Yes. It ties with how many cool people we get to meet. Yes. Because yes. I love that part too. Us. And maybe more than tie their infinity because we learn from the people. And they learn from us, and it is definitely an infinity loop. Yin yang. I'm not sure about that second part, but we'll give it a a shot, right? (laughs) Okay, go into your sentence, Sensei Jackie. We're not done. We are going to take a look at each one of the disciplines. 
And at the end, we'll decide if we do or do not agree with Mr. Lowry. Us. Us. So I'm going to start with flower arranging because I'm just such a wonderful arranging of flowers. (laughs) Flower person. Good one. (laughs) And today I'm just not good at arranging my words either. But for this part, we used a site called traditionalkyoto.com. It's known as both Kado and Ikebana. And Ikebana literally translates to flowers kept alive. The art is made up of four basic components, flowers and plants, a vase, scissors, and a base. I know, vase and base rhyme. It's cool. I found something on a site called wabankaexperience.com. I learned that Ikebana differs from Western flower arranging because Ikebana emphasizes space and simplicity, and pieces are designed to be admired from just one direction, where Western arrangements are made to be enjoyed from all angles. I like that one, Jackie. You know what else? There are many schools of flower arranging, just like there's a lot of different styles of karate. Maybe I should go to one of those schools. (laughs) Or we should just pick some wild flowers, give them to a friend and say, like it or don't. Sounds like a plan. Some of the styles are called Ikinobo, Sogetsu, and the Ohara school. The details from each school differ slightly with things like which plants are preferred and which vases are used. But the article that we focused on was on the Ikenobo school. So that's the one we're going to cover, right, Landon? Oh, sensei. It was founded by a Buddhist priest in the 1400s. And history says he's responsible for the rika or standing flower style. And he defines it as an expression of the beauty of nature with seven branches that represent hills, valleys, waterfalls, and other parts of nature. Of course, the key is in arranging them meaningfully. Wow, that's interesting. I like that. Very cool. This style was admired by aristocrats throughout the 17th century. And at that time, a style called shoka, also known as seka, became popular with the merchant class. It's simpler in that it emphasizes the plant itself and has three main parts. The first is shin, representing heaven and is the main element, usually in the center and it's the tallest piece. Then comes soe, which represents man and is the main support and is about two-thirds the height of the shin. And finally, there's tai. It represents earth and it supports the soe and is half the length of the shin. Okay, you guys are duking it out for who had the coolest fact there. I won. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) But I've got one that I think we can really use. You ready? Yes. If you cut the stems underwater... They stay fresh longer. Wow. Right? That's key. that's a keeper. That definitely is a keeper. Sometimes I actually pick roses from my garden, so I'm going to use that one, and I'll let you know. Okay. Us. Chief flower correspondent now as well. <laughs> and I'm going to add on a fun fact to segue us on to tea. Ooh. There's a style of flower arranging called nigiri, and it is used in the tea ceremony. You're right, Landon. That is a great lead into tea. And... I'm going to start by saying the site we used is from teafromjapan.guide.com. I'm going to begin our discussion. The art of tea is called chado. The way of tea is a ceremonial way of preparing and drinking green tea. The attendee is supposed to noticeably enjoy the hospitality and atmosphere of the process of making and serving the tea. It's set up to be the complete opposite of the hectic chaos of our everyday existence. Mm. 
Okay, we're going to pause here for a second and talk about personal experiences. Okay. I've been to three tea ceremonies in my life, and they have been different in their success at relieving stress. And I've only been to two, and they were diametrically opposed. One was completely stress relieving, and the other one just made you zoom around in your head, not stress relieving. Are you going to add in here? I have not attended any tea ceremonies, but my favorite tea ceremony is sitting in the kitchen and drinking the tea that I just made. (laughs) I will second that tea emotion. (laughs) I'll third it. There we go. And I will get us back on track with a little bit of a background. Tea arrived in Japan from China in the 8th century. And by the 1300s, it had become a beverage for all the population, not just the nobility. People had tea parties and they showed off their beautiful tea sets. Mm. About the same time, a spiritual, although some say more refined, ceremony developed. Everyone agrees it was and is Zen inspired. Okay, but now we have to stop a minute and talk about the term Zen inspired. Us. I'll start because we have talked about Zen a number of times. I feel it is connected to us and inner calm. Now, Zen is hard to describe, but it interprets to mindfulness. It also is not obsessing with the past or the future. Those are both good points, guys. And maybe we'll get lucky enough to come across a Zen expert and they can, here we go, shed some light on it. Should we tell them how to get in touch? I would love that. You can contact us all over the web at wildcatdojo ad.com. And that's our website. We're on Instagram at Dojo Conversations. And send us an email at dojoconversations at aol.com. Thank you, Landon. As usual, I appreciate that. But for now, who's up? I'll go, Sensei. A man named Sen no Riku who lived from 1522 to 1591, is said to be the father of the modern version of the tea ceremony. And I'll add that when they do the whole ceremony, it takes hours, but it is often shortened. The long version starts with kaiseki, which is a traditional multi-course meal, followed by a bowl of thick tea, and ending with a bowl of thin tea. The shortened ceremony is made up of just the bowl of thin tea, leaving out the other parts. I'm just going to say in the short attention span world that we live in, the shortened tea ceremony would be plenty long enough. Don't you guys agree? Yes. Yes. And here's a couple of pointers from a site in case anybody ever wanted to attend a ceremony. And if you live in South Florida, you can do it at the Morikama up in Delray, I believe. It's Yes, it's in Delray. And it's um, a beautiful thing to see. Absolutely. I 100% recommend it. Okay. First off, dress simply. Don't let your attire overshadow the simplicity of the event. Wear no loud perfumes or jewelry. Stop and admire any beautiful gardens and art as you slowly enter. Be prepared to sit on the floor as tea is served on a tatami mat. And I'll take the ceremony. It starts with a sweet, like candy or something. Take time to look at it and admire it before eating it. Drink the tea in just a few sips and bow to express your gratitude. After drinking, stop and admire the tea bowl. And finally, to show you're done, when you set the bowl down, make sure the front of the bowl faces the server. I'm going to say that we had a a student and a friend named Gail, and she took us to her clay kiln. 
and she let us build tea bowls once. There's one right there. There is one right there. It was so awesome. Hello, Sensei Kiel. And I know she's doing well. But I'm going to get back on track and say, often in a tea room, you will see calligraphy. See how I created a segue there? Great job. Well done, Sensei. She's doing a little dance. Okay, Landon, will you get this one started for me, please? Us. From a site called shotocalligraphy.com. Japanese calligraphy is called shodo and also called shuji, which means artistic writing. This art form is the oldest and quoting here, the most profound art in Japan. You know, I had read that and it was developed in the fifth century. Wow. Long time ago. It requires an inner silence, a stillness, and a spiritual concentration. Shodo is often translated as the way of artistic handwriting or beautiful writing. Us, and its main focus is simplicity and beauty and a mind-body connection. This is cool. It's based on shape and lines and space, including empty space, and requires motion, that state of focus we discussed earlier. I love that. So the article says that at the essence of this art, the calligrapher becomes one with the meaning of the characters. On this site, he says this is accomplished by freeing your mind and your heart of disturbances. We would say distractions, wouldn't we? We would. In our training. And what the person should do is focus on the meaning of the characters. Hmm. We're going to take this one home with a couple of fun facts about calligraphy. Yes. Okay, so... No two calligraphies are the same. I like that one. But I also like the ink never lies. And I like that calligraphy shows your kokoro, your heart. Ooh. Now, see, we could finish up with that, couldn't we? We could. But we haven't answered the question. Do we personally think these art forms are martial? That is the question. Start me out, Landon. I feel that they are an art form, but they are not martial. You agree with Mr. Lowey? Us. And I believe that they are martial art forms. As the old song said, free your mind and the rest will follow. Ooh, she went pop culture on us, Landon. Ooh, I may have to uh, submit a reassignment paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to take it home referring back to Peter Urban's book, The Karate Dojo, where he defines martial as physical and philosophical strength and endurance as opposed to combative. So he redefined the word martial within the context of that book. And in his definition, then they would, in my opinion, fit as martial arts. Us. And I believe our last book author, Forrest Morgan, said that martial arts were combative. Yes, he agreed with that. You're right. That's correct. And you can go back and listen to a lot of those episodes on... um, Our books. Our favorite was the center of the book. We loved the honor part of that book. Yes, for sure. Okay, but back to today. I think I have a segue. Are you ready? I'm ready. Whether they think those areas are martial, they can absolutely pick up their martial arts needs at... Honor Honor Athletics, of course. She did it. I know. I pulled it off. So what is it all about, Landon? You can get a 10% discount. It's awesome. Use the code WILDCATDOJO. And go online at honor-athletics.com. Or reach them by telephone at 770-945-5150. Or the easiest thing in town, 
Scroll down to the show notes and click the link. Duh. Us. Best way ever. And do some shopping. Buy some martial gear. Hiya. I'm making the signs. Hiya. <laughs> we are not tired. And the day is so young. Yes, it is. All right. I love, I love this subject. And we thank all the audience. And let's start a goodbyes, Landon. Bye, everyone. See you next week. Bye, everybody. And on that note, I'm signing out. Thanks for being here. Hope you join us again next week on Wildcat Dojo Conversations.